Welcome to Joe's Common Sense. This is my first podcast. My name is Joe. I'm a constitutional conservative, and I'm going to be bringing some common sense, I guess, to today's political environment. We see a lot of things on the news, different slants of things, left, right, middle, and I'm just going to try and make sense of it in the only way I know how by looking at the Constitution and looking at just basic common sense. Tonight's first topic we're going to talk about is the impeachment. I know that's been a hot topic with everybody. You know, some things I think people don't realize about the impeachment is the duties of the House and the duties of the Senate in an impeachment. I know a lot of people are up in arms because, you know, the Senate didn't call any witnesses or didn't have a trial. How could they do that? You know, unfortunately, per the Constitution, Article 1, Section 2, it's up to the House to bring the impeachment. It's up to the House to get the witnesses. It's up to the House to get the testimony and the evidence and present that to the Senate. Now, in Article 1, Section 3, it allows the Senate to have the trial. So what that means is the House selects House managers, and those House managers bring the case and the evidence and present it to the Senate. Just like in any other trial, they'd basically be like the county attorney, you know, presenting the case, bringing the evidence and present the case, and basically the Senate is the jury. So the Senate's going to decide whether to acquit or vote for impeachment. The thing with everybody asking for the Senate to get the witnesses is it's really not their responsibility. It's the responsibility of the House. And I know a lot of people are saying, oh my gosh, you know, the... The House couldn't get anybody to testify. You know, Trump wouldn't let anybody testify. You know, what people don't understand is there's a thing called executive privilege. And I know a lot of people are going to say, oh, executive privilege, that just means that he never has to say anything. And that's not true. Executive privilege is when somebody would have to testify to the inner workings of the White House, the inner workings of foreign policy, the decisions behind foreign policy decisions, the kind of things that aren't for the public eye. Now, the House certainly could have taken the time in their impeachment investigation to have taken these people who are refusing to comply and taken them to court and have the court compel them to testify. Now, there is some historical precedence to this. I don't know if you remember back in the 90s, the Clinton trial, where Clinton was up for impeachment. There were several witnesses who were invoking executive privilege. However, at the time, the House did take the time to go to court and to get the court to order those people to testify and compel their testimony. So I think what we have here is pretty much a rush job by the House to get this out before the election, instead of doing their due diligence 
and finding the witnesses and corroborating the testimony and compelling people to testify. You know, when you look at it that way, a lot of what the House did would be pretty much illegal in most court hearings. You know, you're not allowed to confront your accuser. You're not allowed to have your own witnesses. You're not allowed to have legal counsel in order to question those witnesses. And these were all things that the House decided that they weren't important to this investigation. Now, if you look at House Rule 660, this is a big rule. This was the rule that Schiff and Nadler decided to create, which allowed them to basically control all the proceedings. It basically allowed them to decide who was going to be a witness, who wasn't going to be a witness. It allowed them to tell Trump that he wouldn't have his attorneys there, that they couldn't question his accusers. And this was all under House Rule 660. But you don't hear a lot about that in the news because why would the news want to report on them doing something like that? You know, and that's going to be a frequent topic of mine as well on this is the slant of the current news media in today's society. You know, the outlandishly left liberal leaning media. You know, it's very, very hard to find the truth in, in today's media and today's news. I mean, I read about five online newspapers and look at four to five different news programs and able to discern what might be the truth. But you're never going to hear any mention of the House Rule 660. And it's important because it, it allowed them to basically control these proceedings. And that's why the Republicans were right to call this a sham proceeding. And that's why President Trump was well within his rights to say the things he said about the proceedings. These proceedings were held in the basement of the House. They were held behind closed doors. None of the testimony was released. And one of the most important parts of this is the Inspector General's testimony on the whistleblower was not allowed to be released. And this, is, this testimony is pretty important because the Inspector General realized that this wasn't firsthand information, that in fact the form was changed to be a whistleblower without having firsthand knowledge. So this form has never been changed up until about a month before the whistleblower decided to file the report. So that's another important fact, too. The inspector general also found that there was a political bias, that this person might have worked for a Democratic presidential candidate. And there were all these suspicions in the air. But yet the members of the committee... The Democratic members of the committee didn't feel that it was important to be above the board, to have things open to the public eye, to allow testimony, to allow witnesses, to allow the other side to call witnesses, to allow them to question the witnesses. You know, as we watch these proceedings on TV, we see quite a bit where they simply, uh, Adam Schiff would simply shut people down and say, we're not going to ask that question or you can't ask that question of the person. You know, so in, in reality, it just became you know, kind of a circus. You know, you have the precedent, you know, in the Constitution for these proceedings. You know, treason, high crimes, misdemeanors. You know, you have a certain level of crime that this must fall under for it to be an impeachment. When you charge obstruction of Congress, which isn't even a violation or an impeachable offense, 
you know, it tends to take a little bit of the sting of the impeachment out. You know, had they done their due diligence, had they compelled witnesses, had they done the proper things that they were supposed to do, this might have turned out differently. You know, I'm not one to really say. All I can see is what the proceedings were, what I've read, read, read about them, what I've seen about them, and, and how they were portrayed in relation to the Constitution and to the rules of the House and the Senate. So, you know, there's a little bit of common sense on that. You know, give you a little bit more insight on that as to why these things didn't happen the way the American public thought they should have happened. Because that's not how it works in the House and the Senate. That's not how an impeachment trial works. One side gets the evidence and the witnesses. They present it to the jury or the Senate to make a decision. You know, this just further kind of divides our country. You know, I don't know if any of you feel this way. Um, you know, I'm on Facebook. I make a comment to somebody. I've been called a Russian asset by somebody on Facebook. I've been called a misogynist. I've been called a racist simply because I'm from the Midwest, simply because I'm white, simply because I support some of the policies of the president. You know, I miss the 80s and the 90s. You know, when we had a House and Senate that worked together, that formed compromises, we didn't have a bitter... We didn't have a bitter Speaker of the House, as Nancy Pelosi certainly is. You know, we had people who would form a coalition, people who would reach across the aisle, and people who would get things done. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, these last few months, we haven't been able to really get anything done or accomplished. And, and the reason being is we've been so stigmatized with trying to get Trump out of office, instead of really paying attention to what's going on in the country. You know, instead of trying to find a coalition to work on these things. And it's not like these policies aren't coming out of the White House. You know, I'm sure none of you know about the inner city renewal programs that Trump had put forward to cause reinvestment in minority communities. I know a gentleman here in my city of Omaha who is buying houses in North Omaha because under the president's current plan for redoing these blighted segments of cities you can get a house loan for no interest so this gentleman is buying houses and is in turn rebuilding them and rebuilding the community but you're not going to hear about that on the news you're not going to hear about you know the billion plus dollars that are being invested in these inner cities you know you're not going to hear about drug reform drug pricing reform you're not going to hear about the things that are important to our country because we're fixated. You know, Trump derangement syndrome is real. You can act like it's not, but just go on Facebook and say something about Trump and see all the people who completely lose it. Today, just today on Facebook, somebody had posted something about, oh, he's cutting all this stuff from the budget. So I happened to make a comment about it and... Let them know that there were a lot of programs in the budget that, you know, people aren't hearing about. You know, one, he's, we're putting a lot of money toward the opioid drug epidemic. Which, being a person in recovery, that's big to me. You know, the opioids have killed lots of people and addicted a lot of people, and we're putting money towards that. We're also putting more, more money towards e-cigarettes to get rid of those and the potential it has on, on young children. 
But the person, you know, didn't want to hear that. They told me that Trump had buddied up with the e-cig people, and it's actually the complete opposite of that. And people just get their news from little bits and pieces on Facebook. You know, when I pointed out that the person might actually want to read the budget, which is what I did, I was called a bully. I was told that I was calling them names. And that's a society. That's how we've come to be right now. We're basically a society where if my opinion is different from yours, I am a racist. I am a misogynist. I mean, I'm so tired of hearing that racist card being thrown around. It really dilutes what, what racism truly is in our society. I miss the times where if I didn't agree with you, we were at least able to talk about our differences and find a common point. You know, I have a good friend of mine who is in California. He lives in, uh, outside of Oakland, Berkeley area. You know, we're certainly different political leanings. And we've been having talks recently about, you know, single-payer single insurance systems. You know, but I listen to his point of view and his friend's point of view, and I'm now doing some research on countries where they're using this to see what the advantages are. But if we don't have an open dialogue with each other, then, then none of this is going to get done. If every time I say this, you go, oh my gosh, this can't be. We're never going to get anywhere in society today. And the Democratic Party has been very, very, very good about taking groups of people and minimalizing these groups. You know, marginalizing people, separating people. Instead of forming a coalition of people, they separate us. The news separates us. Facebook separates us. You know, it comes to the point now where it really doesn't matter who is in the White House. You and I suffer. Middle America suffers. We don't have a voice anymore. When we have these people who have been in politics for 30 plus years, who are multimillionaires, off a $174,000 a year salary, something's wrong with the system. When these people aren't accountable to anybody anymore, we have a problem with the system. And, you know, we're not going to find any billionaire to come along and be like, Hey, term limits, that sounds like a good thing. I'm going to throw a bunch of money behind this and we're going to get this passed nationwide. That's not going to happen because then that takes power away from from the pharmaceutical companies. It takes power away from, you know, the people who have been in power forever. They don't want to lose their power, but it diminishes our power as citizens. But if you and I are too busy arguing on Facebook about this, that, and the other thing, we lose sight of what is happening in Washington. We lose sight of the common good, the best for citizens, the best for you and me. And we simply lose sight of that. About the only thing that we're going to be able to do as citizens is to form a constitutional convention. Now, what that means is we'd need to get two-thirds of the states to agree to have a constitutional convention on term limits. Now, this would do a couple of different things. One, it would definitely circumvent going through the House and the Senate for term limits. You know, I don't know any senator or any representative who's going to vote to decrease their term in office. By decreasing their term, we decrease their riches. You know, I don't know about you, but what other job can you 
can you be in for four years and get paid 174000 for the rest of your life? It's ridiculous the money that is paid and wasted. You know, back during the Founding Fathers' Day, people, senators and representatives were paid a per diem. So they would have to keep another job so they wouldn't be dependent on the government teat for funding. But we find that complete opposite today. I mean, look at Bernie Sanders. You know, I have this argument with people over and over and over again with Bernie Sanders. The guy's been in the Senate for 30-plus years. Name one thing he's done. And I have yet to get anybody tell me anything that man has done for this country in 30-plus years. He's got four houses. He's got a ton of money. I mean, but what has he done for you and me? Nothing. Look at Nancy Pelosi's district in San Francisco. You know, they're spending a, over a half a million dollars a year to clean up poop on the sidewalks. That's how bad San Francisco has gotten. There's poop and needles all over the sidewalks. But they don't want to take care of that. Look at Adam Schiff's district in L.A. Rampant homelessness, rampant unemployment. But they don't want to take care of their districts because they don't answer to us anymore. Politicians don't answer to us anymore. And that's what's wrong with this country right now, is we as citizens have to take this power back. By having a constitutional convention and getting two-thirds of the states to get together to vote this, it automatically becomes an amendment to the Constitution. We don't have to go through Washington. We don't have to go through the House and the Senate. All we need is two-thirds of the states to say, hey, enough is enough. You know, I would certainly like to see Washington start doing something for us. Helping the veterans, helping the homeless. You know, I have two boys who are in the military. You know, so my heart is dear for, for the military and for these people who are suffering and for the lack of, of funding and the lack of focus that we have for helping them. You know, I don't know if you noticed, but also in Trump's new budget, we're giving a lot more money to the Department of Veteran Affairs so we can start taking care of these people the right way. But you're not going to hear about that on the news. All you're going to hear on the news about the budget is Trump's cutting money from Medicare, Social Security, and Medicaid. We're not going to hear anything else. I know a lot of people think it's the end of the world, but a president submits a budget every year. That budget is kind of a wish list for the president. It doesn't mean he's going to get everything he wants. You know, per the Constitution, the House controls the purse strings of the country. And currently the House is controlled by the Democrats. So if the Democrats don't like what's in the budget, they don't have to approve it. So it's not the end of the world. But we need to look at the, the better good, the deeper good. We've got to start scratching at the surface, below the surface, instead of just taking these sound bites and these snippets and this and that to form our opinion about things. You need to start taking a look as a citizen and reading up and paying attention to Instead of being led along by the nose, being dragged along like sheep. That's not the American way. That's not what our founding fathers did. They fought for their right. They fought to get rid of England. They fought to have the, the freedoms and the securities we have in this country today. We have more freedom than, than any other country today. But yet people still are just hate America. People who live here. So, 
with that, I'd like to wrap up the first podcast of Joe's Common Sense. Um, please go to my Facebook page, Joe's Common Sense podcast and leave me your comments concerns maybe something you'd like me to talk about maybe give me some info on some other topics and until the next time take your right as a citizen and take action have a good night